Welcome into a quick timeout podcast presented by Dr. Dish Basketball. If you're like me and my team, the offseason is officially here, which means I start putting together what I want my players to work on skill-wise this offseason. As you prepare your workouts and particularly your shooting workouts this offseason, let me encourage you to head over to drdishbasketball.com. I've put together a series of videos of my favorite shooting machine workouts. Whether you're running a small group workout or even a solo workout, there are drills there to help your players improve this offseason. Simply visit drdishbasketball.com and click on blog from the drop-down menu to start planning your next workout. Making his annual appearance on the podcast is everyone's favorite internet and social media college basketball analytics guy, Hoop Visions, Jordan Sperber. Jordan, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me back, Tony. It's the it's the annual appearance. Uh, I'm I'm excited. It also means that we're very close to the NCAA tournament tipping off. So I'm excited for multiple reasons, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Exciting time of year. So last year when we talked, there had been a lot of coaches complaining about the weird season with all the COVID stuff and then the impact maybe that, you know, practices being disrupted and flow of the season, that kind of thing. Statistically, are we back to normal this year? Yeah, there was a a brief period there where COVID was canceling games and affecting games that seems to have come and gone. Technically, teams still have to test negative, I think, to to they they, ha- they technically have alternate teams waiting this year just like they did last year, but it seems like that won't be an issue, knock, knock on wood. Um the interesting thing this year Ken Pomeroy has tweeted about this is that uh, home court advantage like didn't really go back. <laughs> so, so home court advantage was less last year, not crazy amounts of less given no fans, but it was less. And it's, it's kind of like stayed at that level this year. And I don't know exactly what the, the um, reasoning is there. I don't think that we can know for sure, but I think in the present year, traveling is now easier than it's ever been um for teams and also teams are spending more resources than ever on making traveling easier and there i i saw someone speculating about this and i could maybe agree that maybe that means officiating has gotten better if Mm -hmm. uh if home court because a, a big part of home court advantage based on research um is is like foul discrepancy and and officiating um so you know, maybe that's a good sign for the referees. I feel like they they get they get knocked enough. We should give them mm-hmm. some props, even if we don't know for sure this has to do with them. Uh, I saw you had tweeted something earlier this year, potentially about like uh, free throw percentages being up. Yep. Um, we had talked even before potentially about uh, three point impact of spacing of the new line. Now that we're about three years into that, so you're absolutely right. Free throw percentage. It, once the season ends, it will be the best free throw shooting season in NCAA history. Um, and I have uh, had Ken Palm on my podcast a little while back and asked him, is it is is part of the reason for that, that teams are playing smaller with more shooters on the core and like uh, maybe the, the player that would have been playing power forward 10 years ago is now playing center and, and you, so on. You can you can do and that is some a, a tiny portion of it, but not enough like point guards shoot better for the free throw line now than they used to as well by position. That's not enough to explain the whole thing. So that that's an interesting little fact. With with the three-point line, uh, 
really uh, percentage has still not rebounded to what it was before the line got moved back. And personally, I mean, that's kind of why you, they moved the line back in the first place was that it was becoming a little bit powerful, you know, threes. And I don't think it's horrible for the game if it doesn't um, bounce back. I guess people that want to see high scoring games and, and are all about optimizing scoring and like the entertainment aspects, I suppose that would be, but you know, I tend to more value like the strategy aspect. And I Mm -hmm. think for, for strategic purposes, if the three point line becomes too powerful or not powerful enough, that can change the, the strategy a little bit. Yeah. We'll come back to that. I wonder defensively if it's Mm. made any adjustments um, you know, longer closeouts, better spacing, that sort of thing. I also wonder too about the free throws. You get in the NCAA tournament time, you have closer games and being able to shoot higher percentage free throw wise. I know that stat that we gave is like across the board NCAA, yeah. but even team by team, uh, be interesting to see if that that makes a difference here in the, in, the, in March. Uh, two teams that I'm seeing a lot of people picking and they're, they're getting a lot of conversation for obvious reasons, but Gonzaga and Arizona. Let me start with Gonzaga. Second in offensive efficiency, I last, I last saw, and somewhere around top five defensive efficiency. How good are the Zags, and are they better this year relative to the field than they were last year? Yeah, so in WCC play, I, I looked at their, their numbers right before the St. Mary's loss. So naturally, you lose the game and the numbers go down. Um, but right before the St. Mary's loss, this year's Zags team was performing better in conference play. And you say, oh, the WCC's weak. Well, you're comparing last year to this year. It's apples to apples, re- regardless of how how good or bad the, the WCC is. Um, that being said, you know, I I tend to think that they're a little bit a, a little bit of a step down from last year. I think the um a couple of things. D- defensively with Chet Holmgren and a legitimate rim protector that that team, that was their one weakness last year was, was protecting the hoop with, with um, a, a shot blocker. And, and so they do have that in, in uh, Chet Holmgren. I would just say that the offense has taken a little bit of a step back um, that, that balances that out. And I think the big question with them is to, to go back to Chet, he was legitimately one of the best players in college basketball the past two or three months. And he did not look like that necessarily to start the season. So Mm -hmm. the question is, and I don't necessarily have an answer for it yet is he's a young guy. He's a freshman. Did he improve as this, like, like almost all freshmen do over the course of the season improve from one month to the next, or, you know, did the WCC effect and, you know, uh, is that sustainable against these better teams is, is what I'm trying to say. Um, and I, I have watched a bunch of film on him and I think that some of it is sustainable, but there, there definitely were some moments, um, against Texas tech and Texas and uh, some of the better teams on their schedule. He had a pretty good game against Duke, even though they lost that game, um, where he kind of disappeared a little bit on the offensive end. Um, Meanwhile, in WCC play, he's like going behind his back, spin move, dunking, <laughs> you know, so it's it's interesting to see which which one we get in the NCAA tournament. Uh, what is it about Tommy Lloyd's Arizona offense 
that impresses you? Yeah, so I did a, a video on uh, Arizona called the fastest team in the country on on my uh, YouTube channel. Actually, them and Gonzaga are both very similar pace wise. They're very similar in general. Tommy Lloyd, obviously, being the longtime Gonzaga assistant in his first year at Arizona, and he has like perfect personnel for the way that that he uh, would prefers to play. Um, which is rare given that he didn't recruit most of the guys on the roster. Um, but they, they're big and fast. So I started out that video by uh, showing a graph that uh, had every team in the past, I think it was like 10 years, their tempo numbers, their, how fast they play on offense and their height. And Arizona, the combination of those two are pretty much like, if you, if you put those two together, it's like the, the fastest tall team, in the last 10 years, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, they almost always play two bigs a- at the same time, uh, uh, depending on foul troubles or injury, but but you, they're usually playing, playing two bigs. And it's a lot of what you've seen from Gonzaga. The The thing that I think is best to, to really answer your question, the thing that I think about, think is best from them is their flow, uh, which in that video I gave kind of like a... a, a a, a definite, <clears throat> excuse me, a definition for it, the ability to move from one action to the next action. Mm-hmm. Like to give, so there's, there's a, a balance there. When you come off a ball screen, you want to, you want to come off it with intent to, to score or create, but also you don't want to come off it too determined to do that and not just be willing to get to the next one or to force things. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that's an underrated skill of offense in general to, to um, weigh that balance. And they're really, really good at that. I think Gonzaga is too. Clearly those coaches are, are really good at teaching, like being purposeful, but unselfish. Um, and, and that's what I really like about Arizona. I heard two couple people mentioned last night, like the slower pace of the NCAA tournament, um, how it becomes a little bit more of a half court game. Does that cause any concern for a team like Arizona or Gonzaga? Um, yeah, well, I think that it's easier to, to slow a game down than to speed it up potentially. Um, so particularly, I think that, I think that comes a little bit more on the offensive end of the ball, right? Like, or well, the defense for those teams, you know, you, you make them guard for, for 30 seconds. They both will push like make or miss. So that that's not going to, um, influence their their offense that much their ability to push but no doubt like you you think about this in the nba playoffs too like the ability to play in half court offense i just i think that they're pretty good half court offense teams they it's not like a their speed isn't like gimmicky where they're they're not playing fast for the sake of playing fast i actually have a, a quote in that video of tommy lloyd saying you know if if playing fast isn't right for our for this this particular game, we won't do it. You know, it's mm-hmm. like it, so. I I do think that they're they're able to adapt um, and, and play in the full court, but it is something to think about for sure. I mean, going back to your definition, the I think we think of like playing with pace as in up and down the the gimmicky that you thought, but yeah. the flow is action to action. How well do things flow within your half court offense? And yes. I don't know that that necessarily matters whether or not 
you're talking about a lot of possessions or a few possessions, they're still getting great shots within their possession, whether they're right. playing fast or slow, they're still playing with pace there. It seemed like, you know, the last couple of tournaments, ghost screens were like the actions that, that everybody was running and that we were all talking about system of play, maybe offensively talking a little bit more about like five out than the, mm-hmm. uh, the new look to that. Uh, is there anything in particular X's and O's that you think that we'll see this year? Yeah, I five out is still the general trend, I think, um, among among offenses. I think that it has um there less teams are running continuity ball screen or flow ball screen and more are running five out. There's still plenty of both, but th- I think that trend has continued. Um obviously the the teams that have bigs that can pass and dribble especially are taking advantage of five out um one thing i tweeted earlier in the year um in relation to five out that i was seeing a lot during the season is just more more sets and and like quick hitters out of it so we've been talking about arizona xavier was another team i think that was in that tweet running like rip screens and um different everyone runs zoom what i call zoom action so a a pin down into a dribble handoff um and just different variations Uh, loyola and porter moser who's now at oklahoma he was kind of he was running some uh some unique stuff in five outs we're just seeing more like complexity i suppose um to the five out and then defensively uh, you know, switching. I, I feel like every year more and more teams are are coming to the, the dark side of, of switching everything. <laughs> um, uh, Arizona and, and Gonzaga, are both we've talked about, that they're usually pretty willing to switch. LSU is the defense uh, this year that they actually struggled a little bit the, the last month or so of the season, but they were a top defense previous to that. Um, and and they they've been switching everything um so yeah we're getting to more uh more and more with five out i guess it's more and more positional flexibility and with more positional flexibility then comes more switching on defense i think they kind of go hand in hand with each other a little bit the best basketball coaches are relying on data more than ever that's why coaches love huddle assist with assist you get full game breakdowns including complete team and player stats in less than 24 hours. Your stats are ready when you need them. And assist is more than just the box score. Use interactive reports like shot charts and advanced stats like lineup data, VPS, and of course, effective field goal percentage to coach smarter. Plus, assist brings your stats to life. Every stat is marked on the video at the moment it happened. See every shot, turnover, rebound, and much more with just a few clicks. Want to see how Huddle Assist is elevating basketball? Visit huddle.com slash assist. That's huddle.com slash assist to learn more. Has the defensive switching led to anything different statistically? Um, that's a good question. I mean, it, actually, I was just looking at this, and I, I thought it was interesting and didn't know why it was the case. And now that I'm thinking about it, switching might have something to do with it. Assist rate is the lowest I believe it's ever been. So uh, Ken Palm has a uh, assist rate going back to the 1993 season, and it's lower than any any of those seasons. So 
50.8% of baskets are assisted this year. So 50, 51% of baskets are assisted. The highest it's ever been in a season is about 56%. So usually it's somewhere between 56 and 51. This year it went below 51 for, for the first time. And I think the switching does cause that where you ha- you have to late in, late in possession, you have to go one-on-one or you have to post up. And ideally, if you're staying out of rotations, then you don't have to commit as much help and uh, uh, assist go down. You know, I'm sure there's some offensive reasons for why that's the case as well. It's not totally because of the switching, but but I, I would argue that maybe the lower assist rates is because of the switching. Something else that I was thinking that might be impacted by that a little bit, but might not be. I'll get your thoughts on it. We were talking beforehand about the amount of post up post ups that were being used this year and the scoring off of that seems like just a mere, I think three years ago, four years ago, I heard somebody presenting at the final four and talking about the declining rates of points per possession for post-ups post-ups. And now it may not necessarily be that you're seeing, you know, more scoring off of it, but you are seeing more of it kind of a return back to what it was. I don't necessarily know personnel wise, if it's the Mm. same reason why that it used to be that way, but what do you have on that? Yeah. Well, I think it's hard to make a a hard rule about like don't post up or post up based on the national averages. Uh, there, this year, there are the 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 rule that I would say is don't post up bad players. <laughs> you know, like I think one thing that that teams sometimes struggle with is they have a very good back to the basket player, and then he comes out of the game. And they're running the same offense that they are running now without that very good back to the basket player. And like, don't post up bad players. That's, that's, you know, so post up good players by all means. I, the way I look at it is with the post up, the ball screens, even the isolations, you're just trying to create an advantage, you know? And, and if your best player is a seven footer that plays with his back to the basket, probably the best way to create an advantage for you is, is going to be posting up. But we've even seen, with the Villanovas and I think Wyoming is another team that posts up the guards a lot. Um, it doesn't have, it doesn't, there's, it doesn't have to be the seven footer. That's just one example, but yeah. So I think that it, it's difficult to, uh, to make hard rules one way or the other. And there are clearly in in college in particular, like very good post-up more so than in the NBA, very good post-up players that are able to, uh, draw that help. I mean, Villanova makes a living off this, you know, drawing the help, ball reversal, ball reversal, ball reversal, and and finding the open three. Maybe connected to this and not just the long closeouts that it's creating and the potential help. I think the longer that you have somebody, whether it's a guard or a big man, dribbling down there in the post, especially if it's a big man, which I know not everybody has, but drawing additional eyes and help, and now the extended three-point line, I know it's not a, it doesn't seem like a big deal, but you go an extra step that a person has to recover out to that. The to your point, the advantages and the big advantages for shots that it's creating. I just we're not we're not shooting more. Are we are we shooting more threes over the last couple of years? Um. So when when the um when the line was moved back the year before the line was moved back 38.7% of shots were threes 38.7 and it dipped down to 37.5 which is 1.2% drop which doesn't seem like much but it is a, it's significant 
Um, and this year was 37.7. So it's only gone back up 0.2%. Um, and, and percentage has stayed down. So the line, the line got moved back previously, I don't know, about 10 years ago, something like that, um, from the high school line. And, um, and percentage stayed down for a year or two, and then it started to come back up. Uh, eventually, players adjusted, and it still had. We we're not there yet. Basically, I assume eventually that that players will adjust, but I do think that there is something to like. Uh, obviously, shooting is a skill that gets better later in in professional players' careers. You know, and so the question I always ask, and it's sort of rhetorically, is like. Uh, is can 18 year old players shoot threes, you know, at a 35% clip, which or 34, whatever, like that's like the NBA average. And we're more and college is more in the 33. Like, hmm. I, I don't, I don't know. It's a, it's it, that'll make a big difference on, to your point, those long closeouts and, and all of what you're talking about going forward. Uh, you mentioned defense. So I do want to talk about defense. Uh, one team in particular, Texas tech. I think every time you come on here, I'll, point back to our original episode of the Texas Tech defense, the no middle defense. You can go back and listen to that later. But in addition to Texas Tech, anybody else defensively, either their system as a whole or something that they do within their defense that makes them hard to score on? Yeah. Uh, LSU was the team that I focused on this year. I, I already mentioned them. The The particular concept, to, to give you a little more on them, um, was the triple switch which a lot of NBA teams use. That's where uh, you, you switch a ball screen, you have a little on a big. So when, as, as let's say it's a, a screen and roll. So you, you switch the ball screen, the, the big guy rolls into the rolls towards the basket. He's got a guard on him. That's when a third player comes in. Hence the triple twitch, triple switch term. A third player comes in and kicks him out. Um, and so you, you stay with, uh, a big on a big and, and the little on the little um, that has been uh, pretty successful for LSU. Like I said, they, uh, they struggled a little bit over the last month of the season. They also were a little banged up with, with some injuries. Um, but yeah, Texas tech uh, also uh, is just as good as, as they have been in previous years. They, the the first year when they went to the national championship game, they had really really good individual defenders. Culver and um, uh, Tariq Owens w- was on that team. He was a really and since then, like, and they have good defenders. Don't get me wrong, but it's still sometimes it's like, how are they so good at keeping the ball out of the paint? Like, given that they don't necessarily have a Tariq Owens. Um, yeah, the system has just been. Uh, uh, pretty incredible results wise over the last four years or five years, however, however long they've been running it. Um, and teams still can't quite figure it out. It's, it's honestly still one of my favorite things to do is to watch what offenses run against Texas tech. None of it really works, but, but they try a lot of stuff. They try a lot of stuff. Uh, I saw last night, the six and 11s. I've tried to pull a couple of them up. I think it's uh, Michigan and Colorado state. Other one was Virginia Tech and Texas. I can't remember the other two, but I saw everyone was picking the 11s over the six. Do you have anything different than that? Uh, 
Michigan, Colorado State. Uh, I really do like Colorado State um, this year. I I, uh, I had Nico Medved on my on my podcast earlier mm-hmm. in the year, and I'm a fan. I'm I, I really like what they run offensively. That being said, you know Michigan is is probably a little bit. Um, I wouldn't want to play them in the six eleven game at least. So I don't know. Mm-hmm. I I'd say that one's probably pretty close to a 50 50 what, what was the other game iowa state and lsu Ooh, oh yeah uh i'd, I'd take lsu in that game yeah and lock then, it in lock yeah. it in. <laughs> okay. and then the last one is the uh first four Rutgers and notre dame and then whoever wins that game plays alabama oh, plays alabama Alabama is a confusing team. They have extremely, they beat Gonzaga. They have extremely good wins and extremely bad losses. I have no shot at as well this year. Oh yeah, that, that for sure. Um, and, and, and that that Mm -hmm. last year's team was very good defensively. Um, Mm -hmm. they have strong individual talent, uh, that might be a little redundant at times. Like, um, you only need so many, like, guys that can short short quick guards that can you know get to the basket on one team that that might have something to do with it Mm -hmm. um i would still probably take that i i'm sure they're favored in in that uh in that first round game but yeah uh that it'll be interesting to see what what happens with the sec this year they had a really good year one of their best in in a while I'm, i'm interested to see how those teams the alabamas and the lsus play and then most people paying attention to the power conferences and their teams. Somebody mid-major that could sneak through maybe Sweet 16 Elite Eight appearance. Yeah, uh, it's always borderline if if uh, the Mountain West is mid-major or not. I think that it's kind of uh, I'm probably cheating by calling San Diego State a mid-major. They're not. Mm-hmm. They're not a Power Six team, but. Uh, um, yeah, San Diego State's defense—they run pretty pure pack line, at least when it in regards to guarding one pass away. Um, they're in in the gap, uh, and the uh, I, I, my my term for them this year has been swarming. They're swarming. That's mm-hmm. um, and I was pretty high in them last year, and I think I can't remember who they lost to, but they lost in the first round. So uh, no guarantees on that pick, but I do like San Diego State. They're number two right now in Kempom adjusted defensive efficiency behind Texas Tech. And really, they have been one of the best defensive programs in the last five, 10 years. Uh, They just are. They're always good defensively. I did this to you last year, but I'm going to tweak it just a little bit. You get Gonzaga and Arizona. Or the field, who are you taking? I was before before I I joined you on this call. I was just looking at some uh, a five thirty eight, which is a um, Nate Silver's site. The stats probability stuff for for the NCAA tournament. So I can tell you that the numbers would say to take the field there. I think the Zags are something like third low thirty percent chance to win. According to to the stats, and uh, Arizona is probably like low teens, like ten to 10, ten or eleven. So you add those two up, it's actually it's not it's not too far off. You know, you're, you're getting in the forty something percent chance to win. Beyond just those those straight numbers, 
I mean, I think that those obviously that's why you pick them. They have the two the two best chances to win. That, that's that's why you pick them. Uh, yeah, I, I I would be willing to say that uh, that that. That uh, one of the two win it all. I'd be willing to go against the numbers. We won't uh, blame you for any fault, wrong picks there. <laughs> yeah, but you are this year. I saw want to give people an opportunity for this. You are running a bracket pool. Can you tell people about that and the potential prizes they can win with that? Oh yeah, yeah. So uh, it's a ESPN pool. Um, oh, I know why you're bringing this up because you've been telling me to do this for years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it just crossed my mind. Um, yeah, uh, I am this year hosting an ESPN pool where first place, I wish I was wearing it right now, but first place gets a gets a, uh, a Hoop Vision hoodie. It's like a jacket hoodie kind of thing. It's, it's a, nice, a nice piece of gear. I wear mine regularly. Um, and second through fifth place get a dry fit t-shirt that, that has the hoop vision logo on it um i actually you'll be you'll be uh, glad to hear this i i was looking on it like the most joined pools on e, public pools on espn right now and it's like in the top 100 of wow. uh, in the country so wow. there's already like i think already 700 people signed up and wow. i really have not advertised it that much. Um, so it was mostly done on YouTube. Like almost all of those are coming from YouTube. I tweeted it today for the first time. Um, so that was, that's pretty cool to see the amount of, uh, of numbers there. So it's going to be hard to win. I, I will give you that caveat. It's going to be a difficult one to win with that many people. Hopefully if people listen to this, they'll have some insider information and make uh, some better picks than the other 700 that were there. And then tell <laughs> people also where they can connect with you. And I'd like for you to tell them about your newsletter as well. Yeah. Uh, HoopVision68 is the Twitter account. That's kind of like the hub where uh, where everything that I do, I'll, I'll tweet about. Uh, the newsletter is hoopvision.substack.com. Again, the link is is in the Twitter bio. Um, I will definitely be doing some, uh, some pregame and postgame type analysis on the NCAA tournament. Um, and the YouTube channel is also HoopVision68. Uh, yeah today wow no yesterday i'm losing track of days here yesterday i published a video that is um has one scouting fact on on every single team in the field that we we do that every year it's a fun one um so that's at hoop vision 68 everything's at hoop vision 68 that's hoop visions jordan sperber as always great stuff jordan thanks for coming on the show thanks for having me again tony 